enjoy the dulcet tones of someone who loves history, humanity, and space a whole hell of a lot. I only censor myself around people I'm not comfortable with, and since I'm talking to myself, I am extremely comfortable, so I cannot guarantee no swears. I'm Hannah, born in Oregon in the very early 90s, and part of that Hannah-named hive mind, but I happily answer to HD, so brace for the obligatory joke. Coming to you in high def, HD fills her sweet spare time with space. I live an hour or two away from the coast, and we'd go there a couple times a year. Oregon beaches are misty and rainy and gray, especially in November. Um, They're just full of driftwood and rocks, and they're some of my favorite places to go. I just got back from my beach trip, actually, a very good beach trip with a bunch of friends. On the way to the beach when I was little, a friend and her mom once played me a story tape called Plop, the Little Owl Who Was Afraid of the Dark. The narrator's voice has stuck in my head so hard. Her cadence and her round British accent and some of the silliest phrases describing this little owl who is supposed to help kids get over their fear of the dark. There's a line, um, Plop closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and fell off the branch. I just, (laughs) I love it every single time. Or he has this comment, um, the owl Plop does, where he's like, I like vole, what's next? (laughs) Every chapter in the book is titled in a way that describes the dark in terms that aren't scary. Dark is exciting. Dark is kind. Dark is necessary. I can't remember all of them. I think there's like seven or eight chapters. But I ran across a phrase in my research that described dark energy in a way that sounded just like the way this British woman would say it to Plop. The strangeness of dark energy is thrilling. It's true. Thank you, Hubble Discovery's website, for that lovely little gem. Dark matter and dark energy have one thing in common. They're unknown, and that's very thrilling. Other than that thrilling unknown, though, they do completely different things. In a radical simplification of my last episode, I'll say that dark matter keeps the regular matter in galaxies and galaxy clusters packed in tight together. It's like, um, a hug. Dark matter is a hug. And it packs things up close, and it makes them very dense while also being completely undetectable. Dark energy, on the other hand, is like throwing your arms open wide. It's blowing the universe wider and wider like an expanding balloon. I already talked about how Edwin Hubble's redshift distance relations show that the universe is expanding. Galaxies were moving away very quickly from our own Milky Way galaxy and from each other. There are some exceptions to this rule, like how our galaxy is actually going to collide with the Andromeda galaxy eventually, but the vast majority of all galaxies are whizzing away from us very quickly. Folks assumed that was kind of it. The universe is expanding. There are two outcomes to this model of the universe. Either it keeps expanding forever and everything gets very far apart and cold and dark, or the expansion slows down and everything collapses in on itself like a reverse Big Bang. Some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice, as Robert Frost put it. Most astronomers favored fire. Gravity as an attractive force is very strong, and we have all this dark matter as of the 1970s, so it's probably going to drag everything back in, right? Except no one had observed such a thing happening. 
Throughout the 90s, two teams of astrophysicists in America and Australia analyzed supernovae to try and measure the universe's growth. They knew how bright a supernova should appear at different points across the universe if the rate of the universe's expansion was uniform. So they planned to compare how much brighter supernovae actually looked to find out how much the expansion of the universe was slowing down. However, when they looked out halfway across the universe using the Hubble telescope, they found that the supernovae six or seven billion light years away weren't brighter and therefore closer. They were dimmer. They were more distant than these researchers had been expecting. Both teams concluded that the expansion of the universe isn't slowing down, it's speeding up. Albert Einstein was the one who had come up with the theory of gravity that explained the motions of objects in outer space. In his model of the universe, he didn't think the universe was expanding, so he added a number called the cosmological constant to counteract the effects of gravity. Otherwise, the universe would collapse as all of the massive objects in it warped space-time until they were all sliding towards each other and then, you know going into reverse Big Bang, a big crunch. I talked about this cosmological model in episode two, if you're curious. Hubble proved the universe is expanding, and eventually Einstein accepted this information. But it's kind of looking like Einstein was right about the cosmological constant, except his cosmological constant had been there to keep a fixed, finite universe from collapsing. It was pushing things away from each other just enough for them not to get sucked at each other. When you added that cosmological constant to a universe that's expanding, it starts expanding much, much faster. So, you get dark matter in the 1970s. Everything is much denser than it looks. It has a lot of mass that we can't see holding it all together. But also, it's all flying away from everything at a much faster rate than it had in the past. The rate of expansion is speeding up. This is a still-developing field. I want to remind you of this. The theories that I'm going to be talking about have emerged in the past 20 years, ever since the Hubble telescope identified the increasing expansion of the universe. Folks are working on finding answers to these astronomical questions of the universe right now. And one of the answers to the question, why is the universe expanding so much faster than it used to, is dark energy. So, one theory is that dark energy may be a property of space. Einstein even theorized that empty space possesses its own energy, and because that energy was a property of space itself, it would not be diluted as space expands. As more space comes into existence with the expansion of the universe, more of this energy in space would appear too. As a result, this form of energy would cause the universe to expand faster and faster. Kind of a parallel theory of this empty space has intrinsic energy idea is that dark energy is actually a new fundamental force. There are four fundamental forces in our current model of the universe. The strong and weak nuclear forces, which work on a quantum level between atoms and particles and such. There's the electromagnetic force, which deals with electric and magnetic forces, also on the quantum level. And gravity, which is the big stuff. This new fundamental force of expansion that manifests as dark energy would bring the total up to five fundamental forces. Those who subscribe to this theory believe that this fifth fundamental force, dark energy, would only start to affect the universe when the universe reached a certain size. It might even be a temporary force that causes the universe to accelerate its expansion for a few billion years before the dark energy force would weaken and disappear. I did not intend to make it sound like a Star Wars thing, dark energy force, but here we are. Another, tinier explanation for how space gets all the energy for expansion comes from the realm of quantum theory. 
This theory suggests that empty space is actually full of temporary particles that continually form and then disappear. Matter constantly appearing and disappearing could give energy to an otherwise empty space. This theory is kind of shot as far as I understand it, because when physicists tried to calculate how much energy this quantum reaction would give empty space, the answer came out 10,120 times too much for how fast the universe is expanding. That's basically the most wrong that you can get if you are trying to calculate dark energy levels and you get this massive number of what it should be. So I'm not sure about this one. Some scientists think dark energy is an unknown kind of energy field, like how some scientists think dark matter is an unknown kind of particle. This model of dark energy would fill up all of space, but have a completely counterintuitive effect on the universe, making it expand where matter and regular energy create super-dense gravitational pulls. Some of the scientists who subscribe to this theory call this sloshy dark energy field quintessence, which is a way, way throwback to the fifth element that Greek philosophers believed in, also known as ether. Personally, I think if you're going to go back to the Greeks for the name of your astronomical thing, that's not a great way to go. They thought that the sun revolved around the Earth, and it was all spheres and nymphs out there. I don't exactly trust their astronomy too much. And there are no good explanations for what this quintessence or ether is, how it interacts with things, or what it interacts with, if anything. Another theory eschews dark energy completely, and suggests, in what some might call blasphemy, that Einstein's theory of gravity is wrong. That would change a lot about how we have determined the expansion of the universe and our explanations for the behavior of normal matter in galaxies and galaxy clusters. This theory suggests that the new solution to the dark energy problem is actually coming up with a whole new theory of gravity. Unfortunately, none of the new theory of gravity contenders are particularly strong. Einstein made something very, very good, just like Newton did, and it's hard to come up with something new when you have a really good explanation that gets the math to come out right. Well, for the most part. A spin-off of that theory is that scientists need to unify the physics of the large with the physics of the small, uniting general relativity and quantum mechanics. That is the smartest sentence I have ever said. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get into the differences between the theories and how they relate. That's, again particle physics, not astronomy. So suffice it to say that it would be a very hard task to find a theory that fits the realm of galaxies and planets as well as quarks and atoms. Some scientists think that the solution to this unification problem would result in a natural explanation for dark energy. That would be really cool. <laughs> One final theory that I found was publicized this year, 2017, in the magazine Science, which by all rights should have an exclamation point after it. That would draw me in. I'd like some enthusiasm with my science. Anyway, this theory is being studied by a couple astrophysicists in Hungary, Gabor Rax and Laszlo Dobos. Listen, you should look at the transcript to see how those names are spelled. There's a lot of accent marks. I'm doing my best. Rax and Dobos were following the theory that because the universe does not have a uniform density, the calculations that have been done using an average density number are inaccurate. Another way to think of this 
is that there are thin places and thick places in the universe. I can't immediately think of a fabric that does that, because I think that'd be kind of an uncomfortable fabric to have, but uh, Halloween was last week, so imagine the universe is like those cotton cobwebs that you hang up. Some parts are clumped up, some are worn completely through. That's what the universe's density is like. Some places have more mass and greater energy than other bits of space. The issue that these two theorists have is that cosmologists calculate how the universe evolved over the past 13.8 billion years using two equations. One describes how matter clumps together to form galaxies and galaxy clusters. The other equation is the... (laughs) Bear with me. The other equation is the Friedman-Lemaitre-Robertson-Walker, or the FLRW metric. The FLRW metric comes out of Einstein's theory of general relativity, and it's used to calculate how much the universe has expanded at any point in time. The FLRW metric specifically calculates how much the universe has grown, and then a program uses this amount of growth to create a simulation of the evolution of galaxies and clusters at that point in time. The FLRW metric assumes a homogeneous universe, though, which means it takes the average density of space-time, not accounting for imperfections. That's not a great simulation, because general relativity says that mass and energy warp space-time. This is where gravity comes from, if you'll recall. Because of this warping, space should expand faster in emptier regions of space and slow down in crowded places where the gravities of multiple objects are pulling on each other in space-time. So these areas of lesser or greater density can affect the universe's expansion. Rax and Dobos wanted to address the issues that using the FLRW metric creates in simulations of the universe over time. Their team created a simulation of space as a cube, 480 million light years at each side. They then broke the cube into one million mini-universes and then used the FLRW equation to calculate the scale factor in each of these smaller chunks of space. Dobos explained, quote, We assume that every region of the universe determines its expansion rate itself, end quote. Using this broken-down technique to model the universe, their model of the universe actually evolved in a similar way to our actual universe, with increasing expansion, and they didn't have to add dark energy to the simulation to make it work. Rax and Dobos think that their findings suggest dark energy was an illusion created by imperfect equations and modeling techniques. Other scientists disagree, and think that the effects of a heterogeneous universe wouldn't be as large as Rax and Dobos think they are. They have the reasons for believing this, and the article in Science Magazine got into them a bit, but I honestly couldn't understand what the reasons were. One had to do with Newtonian gravity versus relativity. I don't feel qualified to comment one way or the other. (laughs) I just thought it was a really interesting take on what dark energy could or couldn't be. could just be a math mistake. I do feel qualified enough to do research on this, though, and I did find an international scientific collaboration, which is my favorite thing to find, that is dedicated to mapping hundreds of millions of galaxies and detecting thousands of supernovae in order to find patterns in the cosmic structure that will reveal the nature of dark energy. This organization is the Dark Energy Survey and has been searching in the Southern Hemisphere since 2013. The project is currently running until next year, 2018. They'll be using a planned 525 nights of observation to survey 300 million galaxies, billions of light years from Earth. The Dark Energy Survey is a collaboration between scientists from the U.S., Germany, Switzerland, Spain, the U.K., Brazil, and Australia. 
They're using a 570 megapixel digital camera mounted on a four meter telescope at Cerro Tololo Inter-American Observatory in the Chilean Andes, all specially designed and built for this project. They also got a bunch of data from something called the LIGO-Virgo collaboration. It turns out that's a separate project, resulting from work with the United States' two laser interferometer gravitational wave observatories in Louisiana and Washington. Those two are the LIGO, and then the Virgo Observatory in Pisa. The LIGO-Virgo collaboration measures tiny distortions in space-time that are caused by ripples of gravitational radiation, which were first detected in 2015. Actually, three of the astrophysicists who work on the LIGO detector just won the 2017 Nobel Prize in Physics for their work. Mad props to them. The Dark Energy Survey website presents the two possible explanations for the increasingly expanding universe as dark energy or a revision of general relativity. I get the sense that they're searching for dark matter not to prove that it exists, but just to try and get proof one way or the other. If they go through all of these techniques that should detect dark energy and none of it comes up, maybe it's time to revise general relativity. One way to study dark energy is through baryon acoustic oscillations. I talked about baryons last time. They are the heavy particles like protons and neutrons. At the beginning of the universe, back when it was 379,000 years old, it had cooled off enough for baryons and photons to separate from each other. This separation left behind an imprint, cosmic microwave background radiation. I mentioned this at the second episode of this podcast, but cosmic microwave background radiation includes sound waves, which you could also call acoustic oscillations, and the peaks of these oscillations represent regions that were slightly denser than the rest of the universe. Because matter attracts other matter, these regions grew even denser and became galaxies and galaxy clusters. When astronomers compare the organic cosmic microwave background oscillations, the baryon acoustic oscillations is another way of putting it, when they compare those with the density and distance between galaxies at different stages of the universe's history, they can determine the rate of the universe's expansion and thus measure dark energy. A second way to study dark energy is gravitational lensing. It's a way to find dark matter, too, but when astronomers sample galaxies all over the universe, they can start to estimate the rate at which galaxies clump together over time, which then shows how fast the universe expanded at different points in history. Finally, there is a technique called the Sunyev-Zeldovich effect, named for two Russian physicists, which draws on cosmic microwave background radiation in a different way. If a photon of cosmic microwave background radiation interacts with hot gas in a cluster, it experiences a slight increase in energy. Astronomers detect this energy, map those clusters, and ideally they'll be able to measure the influence of dark energy on their growth throughout the history of the universe. That, at least, was the goal of a bunch of astronomers working on the South Pole Telescope in 2010. There has been a lot of work utilizing the Sunyev-Zeldovich effect since then, so it's definitely a useful technique to try and find dark energy. Thinking about the significance of dark matter and dark energy, I did find a good quote that I think sums up why this is such a key area of astronomical and astrophysical study right now. It's from the Smithsonian Magazine, and it states, quote, Knowing what dark matter is would help scientists think about how the structure of the universe forms. Knowing what dark energy does would help scientists think about how that structure has evolved over time and how it will continue to evolve. I think that about sums everything up, uh, but I'll take a minute to explain dark matter and dark energy in a way that I understand them. Both are unknown forces that may or may not exist. Dark matter may be a particle. 
dark energy may be a new fundamental force. Both are a convenient way to get the math of the universe to come out right. If they do exist, we still need to figure out how they work and what their properties are. If they don't exist, we may need to come up with a revision of Einstein's cosmological model and equations and everything. I'm hoping my doctorate-seeking friend can clear some stuff up in December when I interview her, though. <laughs> Remember to send me any questions that you have now that you hopefully understand a bit more about dark matter and dark energy. This is also your last chance to let me know if I should talk about the Voyager Golden Records, the transit of Venus, the history of the U.S. space program, or Edmund Halley next. I also had a thought to do an episode on dark sky preserves, which I know and care a lot about. <laughs> Hit me up via Tumblr or tweet at me on Twitter at HDInTheVoid, all one word. I'm on iTunes, so you can subscribe there. You can rate this podcast, and if you feel moved to write a review, I would really appreciate that. I hope you heard something today that surprised you about astronomy in space. All of it crunches my leaves. I can pinky promise the next episode will wander ever deeper into the cat's cradle tangle of astronomy and history and society to crunch some of your leaves, too. The next episode will be up on November 20th, right before American Turkey Feasting Time. You can find my sources, music credits, a vocab list, and the episode transcript at, all one word, fillthevoid-with-space.tumblr.com. Hugs and kisses from the void. HD, signing off. <laughs>